Welcome to the Association 4.0 podcast, your association's no-fluff playbook to navigating and thriving in Industry 4.0 or the digital marketplace. Each week, we bring expert insights to help you and your association stay ahead of the curve. Hello, my name is Sherry Budziak, and I am the host of this week's podcast. I'm here today with Bridget Walsh, the COO of the Emergency Nurses Association. Uh, Bridget obtained her MBA through Lake Forest Graduate School of Management, and she has served the ENA membership in a, a position of leadership for nearly 20 years. Thanks, Bridget, for joining us today. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks, Sherry. Super excited to be here as well, although um, that nearly 20 years is <laughs> um, hard to hear a little bit uh, when it's said that way, but certainly an honor of mine to have been a part of this organization for that long. Um, so, Bridget, one of the reasons I want to talk to you today, um, and I know you're in a much broader role at ENA, but you come from a HR background, and I know that, you know, talking with you over the years and knowing you in ENA, um, the having a, a great culture and the way that you guys handle kind of recruiting and staff retention um, is really something that I think is top of mind for everybody today. Um, and so I wanted just uh, to talk with you um, about, you know, things related to those topics and um, excited to get your, your thoughts and what you can share with the association community. Yeah, I'm happy to, you know, as you mentioned, I am the chief operating officer, so I do oversee a broader scope of work now, but I started in HR and my heart will always be in HR. I think that that's actually a really important part of being a good leader is understanding the people component and the people centricity that's important in running an organization. Um, and I do have a lot of HR experience and I think that that helps me stay grounded in um, what needs to be important in our culture as well. So I'm always happy to talk HR stuff. <laughs> great. <laughs> Excited great. to be here. <laughs> great. So, um, so, you know, as we all know, people are seeing various challenges um, in staffing. I guess, what are you seeing um, as staffing challenges recently? You know, um, that question brings to mind one word for me right now, and it's competition. And I think of it in a couple of different ways, because um, I am seeing more competition in general and a more competitive environment in trying to um, recruit and retain people. So we have to be looking at a broader scope of competitive offers and benefits and um, people have lots in front of them. So I think that the competition has really changed um, but it's not just competing with more money or more dollars. It's also competing with what's changed for people in their lives. I think, uh, you know, we never were going to go back to pre-2020. It was always about understanding where we needed to be now. And we're competing with different choices people are making too. So we can't always know what that needs to be for everyone. So uh, we have to be flexible, we have to really listen and we have to be adaptable. So I, competition, it's like, if I boil it down to one yeah. word, it's all about competition. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's a valid point. Um, I guess, what are your biggest recruiting challenges? You know, we've been um, in a spot where we haven't had a lot of turnover in the past couple of years. Um, so I do think it is making sure that we're adaptable in our recruiting approach. You know, you mentioned culture and culture is really important and a good culture fit 
So we oftentimes have, we do culture-based interviews and we do involve teams, but within that, that can make a process a little bit longer than it should be. And you cannot have a long drawn out recruitment process right now. So I would say for us, it is, it's that competition. It's knowing that there's lots of options out there for people and we've got to get to our options. We've got to make our case in a really timely way so that we don't lose people because somebody else is quicker or faster at getting there. Yeah, that's a really good point. We helped a group a couple months ago recruit for a high level position. And the recruiter that was working with this organization said, you guys are going to have to move this process along very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were also focused on culture and the right fit. And so that's hard because, you know, everyone's having to kind of clear their schedules to get these interviews done and make that that happen, which I know is a huge challenge. Can you talk to me a little bit more about the steps that you take as you identify somebody who's you feel is good for the culture and how did, how can they successfully integrate into ENA's culture and environment? Sure. So I do think what's really important is early on finding authentic ways for culture engagement, right? So being able to, yes, you can sell your culture, but how do you help people feel it and see it? And I think we have to do that pretty early on. So it has to be through good engagement with, we really have to rely on our recruiters, you know, our, our, our HR advocates, and then our hiring managers, because they are that front face. But it is also maybe our receptionist, if you're coming in, you know, in person, it's our technology and, and the experience that you have, because we want people to be able to, to feel that. And we need to see how they respond to that. Um, and that's not anything you can do with a test. It has to be with that that engagement. So I actually feel that um, the Zoom or Teams or whatever uh, technology platform you're using helps that. Um, I do feel that you get a bit of a better feel for people when you can have a Zoom interview instead of the old school phone screen for that first step. I think that that's helped accelerate that because you feel a little bit more authenticity than maybe just through through the phone. But we also make sure that we still do in-person interviews um, whenever we can. Uh, and I think it's a great example of the flexibility of culture. So we uh, were always, you know, traditional recruitment, right? A phone screen and then an in-person interview. And then maybe had a second interview with a panel. And uh, we certainly have adapted to allow the flexibility for our candidates to not have to take a whole day off for an in-person interview the first time. So using technology, but not losing the value of being in person. And I think it serves two purposes. It certainly serves a purpose for us to be able to get us a feel for the individual and who they are and how they interact with others, how they feel about the space that we've created here that I think is a really important part of our culture, Um, but they get to see it too. And I think that it helps them understand uh, as a hybrid work environment, why people like to come here still, why it's important, what we create here. Um, So it's important for the candidates to be able to see, and it's important for us to be able to see them. And I think that that's been a a good step while not making it too, too long and drawn out either. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you guys, I think that that is a big differentiator for ENA is that you guys built even this physical building, the way that the building and the environment is designed enforces 
that culture and your mission. And we have a whole video on that on yeah. um, <laughs> videos.orgcommunity.com that uh, talks about in a video about, so as everybody, as you said, is kind of, you know, people say they want to work remote, but there is something and there's some big value that comes from, like you said, being in the office in that collaborative environment as well. Yes. Uh, so Bridget, kind of to follow up on that, what qualities do you want to see in employees that you hire? Uh, so flexibility, certainly adaptability, uh, a commitment to, um, to, to culture and to team, really being able to be collaborative, um, but also accountable uh, in, in that sense of accountability. We have uh, culture attributes that describe how we want to work together around inclusivity, um, empowerment, accountability, being um, committed to our members. And all of those things are really important uh, when we're looking for individuals to, to, to join our team. And how do DEI issues factor into your recruitment process now? I know that's kind of top of mind for Yes, folks. yeah. It's interesting because we have had a really strong staff engagement around DEI. Our board themselves has really committed to DEI as part of our organizational goals. Um, and one of the things that we're actually looking at right now is how does that change the way that we operate as well? So it, it is important. We are always looking for people with diverse backgrounds and experiences. Um, and it is something that we know organizationally, we can continue to learn and grow and, and do better. We are, as an organization, um, taking kind of a slow growth and learn, not just a reactive, oh, we need to be DEI because that's what everybody is talking about right now. Right. What is a meaningful way in which it it impacts our organization and our team? So um, is one of our core values. It is part of our organizational goals. It is part of our strategic plan. You know, have we done anything different in recruitment? Um, I don't think we've done anything like one particular thing different. I think it is more about just being aware of and assessing. So one of the things we're doing organizationally is where are the things we don't even know might be hindering candidates of diverse experience from joining our team? Because um, I think that that's almost more important than just posting on a, a DEI website. You, know, you can post as many jobs as you want on a DEI website, but are there systems in place that maybe um, get in the way and hinder, and you don't even know they're systemic. So um, we're looking at um, implicit bias training. We've been doing that with our leadership groups, anywhere that you have the chance to um, choose people for engagement. So not even just recruitment, but in our volunteers, um, in award applications, making sure that people are aware of and understand those biases, because um, I think that's where you make the meaningful change. It also takes longer time. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, where I see organizations kind of fail in some respects when it comes to recruiting and hiring um, is that kind of that's where it ends. And then they get a job and you're like, okay, here's a computer and here's some files, but good luck. Um, so <laughs> do you have like some tips for like onboarding or what are kind of your guys's initiatives around onboard, uh, yeah. onboarding a candidate? Yeah, it, actually that's even more important, right? We talk a lot about uh, shepherding people through the recruitment process and then you can't, you can't just turn them over. Here's your desk, uh, 
go off and do your job, learn your job. I think it's even more important in an environment now where everybody isn't together every day because building Mm -hmm. um, some authentic connections with your team sets you up for really good success and you get to learn how people engage and kind of the unwritten norms of the culture. Uh, So we do have... um, a pretty structured onboarding schedule uh, that we do for everybody. So there's kind of your your basics, right? You get your computer, you meet with HR, you meet with finance, you meet with facilities. Every single person who joins our team does get a new hire buddy. That's typically someone outside of their immediate team. Um, somebody who you might not work with every day, but who you it would make sense for you to engage with, somebody that you can learn from that kind of shows you the ropes. And that's been a really important part. In fact, I just, I myself meet with every new hire to our team because I think it's really important to build those connections, see where they're coming from, why they wanted to join the team and that they're getting what they need to be successful. And I met with a new individual to our team this morning and she was just talking about how awesome it was to meet with her buddy, how she took the tour that her manager gave her around the building a step further. Like here's a couple of people that weren't in the office yesterday and they're going to have lunch and those kind of things just help build love that. connections. So I think that's a really important part of what we do. Um, when I meet with a new hire, I tell them all the time that uh, it takes a whole year to really learn an organization. And so not to put too much pressure on yourself to be an expert after a certain number of days. I mean, I remember <laughs> those 20 years plus of, of experience, um, that misnomer in my mind of that initial period of employment, like you are onboarded and done in 90 days. That's absolutely not true because some things don't come around all that often and you need to be able to fully experience that. So I think having that approach with people and allowing them the space to continue to be focused on learning and growing is really important. Um, You know, we certainly do other things too. Like we try to um, introduce them to other new hires that have started around the same time. Um, Every new hire meets with our chief executive officer as well, just to be able to meet leadership, to meet teams. And we do simple things. They get introduced at staff meetings. So every quarter, everybody who's new, they get introduced and shared around. Our HR team has a little interview that they do. You know, what is your, what would be your superpower? What are your favorite, you know, favorite food, favorite vacation spots? So trying to help them make some of those connections to the team. I think all of those things are really important in onboarding. It can't just be about training. Here's the to-do list of what you need to do on this one initiative. It has to be this evolution of helping them evolve, but also encouraging them to use their voice. Um, I think that's one of the things that's really important about keeping people is making sure that they are heard and listened to. And a new employee, you know, they join here and our responsibilities help them to learn and grow and to be successful. And they also help us learn and grow and be successful. So having those regular touch points where they can contribute, um, ask questions, uh, our CEO does coffee and conversations with staff and we put all new employees into a rotation of that so that they have the chance to meet other people, learn from each other, share perspectives. That's great. I love this new, new hire buddy. I think everybody should do that. That's yeah, um, it's kind of like a yeah. go-to, right? When you, you yeah. ask your new, your new boss, a lot of questions because you're learning in your job, you ask your colleagues a lot of questions. And sometimes you just want somebody to be like, you know, 
how do I do X, Y, Z here? Or who is so-and-so? I've seen their name pop up in my team's feed, but I have yet to meet them. And you want to be able to kind of expand out and have kind of that go-to person. So Bridget, once you like hire this terrific employee that's fitting within the culture and you've got had these great onboarding initiatives, how do you, what are you guys doing to retain and motivate people to, you know, and motivate them to do their best work? Um, A couple things. I mean, we really have over the past year um, taken a a thoughtful and purposeful approach to evaluating the way that we appreciate, celebrate, and invest in our team members. Uh, So, I mean, everybody can talk about some of the fun things you try to do, right? If you have a happy hour or, you know, the chance for that kind of fun engagement with people. But I think a couple of things are really important. And that first one I mentioned is making sure that you're listening to and hearing your people in various ways. So as we're, if we're making big changes to um, the way we operate, such as when we uh, went remote and then when we were coming back, we spend a lot of time having some town halls and getting people's feedback because it's important we're creating an environment by which people want to stay in and they have to have a voice in that. Uh, we just recently did a survey uh, about what type of training opportunities, you know, rate the ones that you think are most important this year for our team. Um, We're launching a initiative of employee interest groups. So just a couple of different things that making sure that uh, that our team members have the chance to use their voice and share that and then respond to it and just ask for it, but use the feedback that you're given. Investing in them as individuals too. So what are their professional development goals? We recently changed our um, performance evaluation and pay for performance approach. And now we're building out a paired uh, professional development plan that helps people meet their goals, their um, individual development goals. And that's really important. I wanna be a part of a team that I feel like I'm always learning and growing and that I'm being invested in. Um, to continue to learn and grow. And then certainly appreciation. Um, We actually just had last week our annual staff appreciation day. Um, This year, our president's theme is all about recharge and we kind of uh, built off of that. And it was a day full of, you know, breakfast treats in the morning, um, uh, all staff lunch, and then we brought in spa services for the day. And it was really just a day focused on each other and being able to be together, but thoughtfulness in appreciation to throughout the year. I think all of those things are really important to, to retaining people um, and, and making sure that they want to stay a part of, of the team. I think as a nonprofit organization with such an awesome mission, right, our, the purpose, the connection to purpose and the mission serving emergency nurses and frontline providers, especially in this past year, has become really meaningful. So our purpose and our mission can kind of start to hook people. We've got to make sure that we're authentically living our culture and investing in and creating a place that people want to continue to learn and grow and contribute. That's great. What, I guess, what would be like one of your greatest success stories? You know, there's a couple of them that come to mind. And one in particular I think about is, and something that I think people talk quite a bit about though, is um, we actually just had a rehire, somebody who had been on our team well over, um, gosh, maybe 10 years ago and came back, wanted to be back 
contributing to this team, to this mission. And so I think that speaks volumes when people want to come back. They enjoyed the opportunity. They went somewhere else for a different kind of purpose, and then they were drawn back. I think that's um, something that I'm pretty, pretty proud of there. The other thing I would say is we had uh, an employee who, over the pandemic, kind of jumped in to help out in our virtual events. You know, everything was virtual, right? We, (laughs) everybody was hosting happy hours or doing virtual conferences. And we had an employee who expressed interest, was willing to help and kind of charted her own course. And this year we were able to create a new role that meshed with that for her. And so she kind of started to build her own course here. And we were able to figure out how that works for our team and put her into a role that really set her in a place where she wanted to continue to grow uh, personally and professionally. And I love when we can do that here. Um, yeah. Because you can't always do that here. I mean, I right. pretend, right, that everyone who came here would stay here forever because you can create the um, their next step. But you can't you can't always do that for people. And I want to make sure that while people are here, they are learning, they are growing, they feel valued, and we're preparing them for their next step. Ideally, that next step can be here, and when we can make that happen, I think that's awesome. And if we can't, uh, that they go out feeling good and well prepared to contribute. And then maybe they want to come back, right? I yeah. think we have to know the ebb and flow of work is different now. People make different choices. They move in and out of places in ways that meet them and their needs at the time. And then things can change again. So those are two that come to mind for me. I kind of like to think of myself as a good example of our commitment to learning and growing. Like you said, I've worked here quite a long time. I got my MBA while working here um, and have been able to continue to learn and grow and contribute and feel really valued and passionate about um, what I do here every day. I mean, those are usually the things that have people start to question, right? When you think of the world of competition, it, it, especially now you might not be actively looking, but people are actively looking for you. And if they can offer you that hook that we can't, so I want to make sure that we we're doing that, that people feel valued. They feel that they can continue to learn and grow and contribute. I think that's really important. Yeah, I agree. I think that's really important, you know, cause I'm hearing, I'm getting calls all the time that somebody just called me the other day and said, Sherry lost an employee because this other kind of a competitor of theirs, their association management company um, hired one of my employees for 50% more than what they're making. There's just no way that, you know, I can afford that. And so there are these, I guess, opportunities for people to take jobs for um, a lot more money because th- there's just that competition. Mm-hmm. But the the organizations that are retaining the most staff right now, it's not about the money. I've always said it's really typically not about the money, right? It's about the environment and the culture. And your, like you said, the ability to learn and grow and have those opportunities. and um, and, you know, feel like you're being successful and, and you're passionate about the mission. So I, you guys have a lot of things that are, I think are really um, uh, doing, you know, very well for, for you guys in that respect. Um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's really exciting stuff. So what, I guess, you know, did the pandemic kind of cause um, in or even post pandemic to think differently about staffing initiatives? And, yeah, and- I mean, I would say probably um, the biggest thing is uh, flexibility, 
Mm-hmm. Right. We really have to make sure that we are being flexible and providing flexibility because that's really important. I think you know, we all moved into this at home and our home and our work lives became so intertwined and finding ways to to build out those balances and take the good that we learned from that while also being able to learn from the challenges that come with that too. Right. I mean, sometimes yeah. your work is always there. How do you shut it down? How do you help people shut it down? Um, how do you help people find the balance that they need? And um, I think the best example of how that really changed for us is uh, we always allowed people to, we used to call it telecommute, right? Like you could work from yeah. home. <laughs> and pre-COVID, that was an application process. And so you had to kind of fill out an application with your desire to want to work from home. You, there were qualifications. You had to have worked here at least six months. You had to be able to be proven successful in what you were doing. And you got one day. If you were successful in that and, you know, and your manager approved it, and you could apply for a second day, right? And so it was this process to be able to do it. Um, gone is that. That has to be gone. Right. I mean, certainly because we all went home for quite some time. But as we came back, we were always really purposeful and clear that the value of our space and our collaborative space is uniquely a part of who we are. Yeah. The, the collaborative environment, the team environment, the mission-based environment we built here. We knew we always wanted to have in-office time. What that looked like was somewhat guided by our team, um, knowing that we were going to be back here. And I think that that flexibility is so important. So when we came back to the office on a more regular basis, we returned to what we are, are what is here to stay is our hybrid environment. And gone is any of that, you know, administrative requirements to be able to be at home. Everybody can can work remotely. You don't have to apply. You don't have to prove yourself. If from day one, as a new employee, everyone has the ability to work remotely and to be in the office. And um, we ask that everybody be here two days a week. You can be here more if you want. And occasionally, if you need it, you can be here less if something else is going on. And we really pushed out that flexibility so that it isn't managed, isn't it managed by HR or managed by facilities who's here, who's not. It's managed at the team level, what your schedules are, what your days are. If you need flexibility in a certain week or another, you know, certainly we ask for a little bit of flexibility in return. If you've got a work team or a committee coming into the office, you may yeah. need an extra day here or there. But if your car is in the shop and you need an extra day at home, that can happen too. And so I think that by broadening that and allowing that flexibility for people, that was probably a, a good example of how it, it changed for us. And, and I think that that's an important part of how we retain people too is that's what people want I think we all learn from that that we like that balance and we we like the opportunity to manage our schedules a little bit differently yeah I think you know we were so integrated with work in life right like mm-hmm. the you know people will talk we'll all talk about okay this kids were home from school learning or trying to work whatever but now like it's been, it was like two years of getting used to that so um so to your point like now you know can I go take my car to the shop and actually work from, you know, while I'm waiting for it. Yeah. We know we could do that. The other day I actually had this moment where I had my daughter had two soccer games and I had a six o'clock committee call. And I thought to myself, well, I'll just skip the games and do this meeting at home. And then I was like, you know what? I got this. 
between the two games, I'm like, just make sure my hotspot works. I had my zoom up on my steering wheel on my, (laughs) (laughs) in my car. And I took the meeting and I don't, nobody besides my team knew that I was in my car. Like it was like, we were fine. I had my fingers crossed that the, that the hotspot was going to work, but, um, so I took a little chance there, but you know, we've all kind of, like you said, kind of figured it out, but that, that balance is, um, I think really important to people. Mm-hmm. And, but with that said, I'm wondering, is there anything like special issues that come up that you need to manage in order for that to be successful? And some things I wonder about personally is like, for instance, um, uh, you know, are there, benefits to having everybody in the office at the same time is there you know you say two days a week but if the teams aren't together two days a week sometimes I wonder like is there what's the point of that so any kind of thoughts around that to share yeah I mean I would say that I think we're still figuring some of that out you know there's certain things as you execute a meeting is this meeting make sense for everybody to be participating the same way Right. Because um, if you got some people virtual and some people in person, it can feel a little bit like two meetings, right? Because yeah. if I'm if I'm watching it on a big screen and I might not be seeing all the chat that's happening. And you know, if I'm watching it remotely, I might be chatting with other people. And you know, so certain people I think some of that miss if you miss out on that. And so that's one of the things for us to make sure that you're purposeful in the type of meeting and setting the expectation from the beginning if that's a everybody together meeting or if, if some people are in the office, stay in your office and join via Zoom because then you're participating the same way. Um, but then that becomes, why do I go to the office if I'm going to sit at my desk and be on yeah. Zoom all day? So I think that that's probably something that we struggled with a little bit at the beginning. And I think we're, we're slowly figuring out the ways of making that happen. We don't currently have a day where we say everyone has to be here. Some of our teams do that. So again, that kind of allowing that flexibility at the team level so that if you work you know, in the meetings team and if everybody in meetings is here on Wednesdays, then they get some of their team time together like that. Um, I yeah. know for myself, um, I've tried to work around the, the days that my team wants to be when they're in the office and when they're not so that I can have you know, kind of our one-on-one check, check-ins we can do in person when we need to, um, but maybe the next one is virtual, you know, try to be a little bit more balanced. I will say, haven't quite figured out that sweet spot of, gosh, I never go in on XYZ day. And so I haven't seen so-and-so in six months, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so I think there are certain things that maybe it is helpful to set that expectation, but in a agile way. So based by project team, okay, here we're kicking off a project these are the three meetings that we want everybody in person for. Everything else will be remote. I think being able to set some of those parameters and expectations, but maybe not as a mandate for everyone, but by team or by organization, uh, you know, organizational initiative or project. Yeah, that's great. So Bridget, anything before we kind of wrap up, I've, I've taken up a lot of your time today, but you've had a wealth of information. I think, like I said, this is a, such an important topic type and top of mind for a lot of people right now. So any kind of final thoughts or tips or anything else you want to share? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing is to maybe let, you know, you have to kind of let go of some of your preconceived notions of the way it was supposed to be or the way it used to be and be open to the way it needs to be now and, and be okay with that. It might change again. I think, um, I think that's really important for all of us. I do think figuring out 
how we can get through this particular challenging time for people. Uh, I, I don't know that it will stay like this forever. I think things will yeah. level out and take with it what we need to, to make ourselves better, be agile and adaptable right now. Really, I think it's important to be proactive and um, try to anticipate some of the trends that, you know, certainly what we are trying to do. But I guess what I would say is make sure you're listening. Yeah, that's um, great. Like we got to be listening to, to pick up on what's happening there. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that's really important too with, you know, I've told people like this, the remote was challenging because um, somebody could be on a meeting, but then you didn't realize they were upset about something or mm-hmm. they, they had some other problem where, when you see them in the office and we, we had one customer, we always said, where's the crying room? Cause there would always be somebody that's crying, <laughs> crying room, you know, like that, you don't see that, like they're, you know, they're frustrated or whatever. So your point of really being um, diligent and in tune with what's going on, how people, you know, listening to people, what their needs are based on the current environment. I think that's something that, that we've all learned, but it's, it's great to hear how you guys have actually put that into action. And it's been such a positive thing for, for, um, for you guys, um, at ENA. And, and I will have to say, um, it's a great place to work for anybody who's listening (laughs) (laughs) and it's a great environment for those that can actually go and see the building someday. That was one of the first things that I know we thought of when everyone was at home. We're like, oh, that beautiful building at ENA. <laughs> well, we're always happy to show it off if anyone yeah. is, is interested. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity because you know, we're not all going to get it right all the time. And just being able to learn and hear from each other, keep our ears to the ground on our teams, but also with what candidates are saying. I think that that helps us continue to learn what people are looking for. And I really appreciate the opportunity to you know, talk a little bit about what we're, we're doing here and hope it uh, resonates with people out there. <laughs> great. Well, great. Thank you so much for being with us today, Bridget. Really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks again for the opportunity, Sherry. We hope you enjoyed this episode and discovered tips and information that will add value to your leadership style and your association. .org Source specializes in positioning teams for success with solutions for technology, strategy, and marketing. Please contact us at info at orgsource.com or visit www.orgsource.com to find out how to keep your organization on track to Association 4.0.